Hey everybody and welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host Mackenzie and you are listening to episode 83 of the show. Before we dive in, I want to take a second to thank a sponsor who is helping to make this show possible. Today's show is made possible by Choose Happiness. Choose Happiness is a social enterprise and business bringing wholesome, eco-friendly, sustainably sourced, organic, handcrafted creations to America's dogs, all while supporting indigenous herders and small farmers in developing countries. Choose Happiness uses exclusively plastic-free, plant-based packaging as sustainability is a top priority for them. They offer delicious, decadent, macaroon-like donkey desserts called Barkaroons that contain all natural, organic, wholesome ingredients that have been sustainably sourced. The treats come in an eco-friendly gift box that your pup will love. You guys probably know that I try to be plant-based as much as I possibly can, but my dog does not care as much for a plant-based diet. In my opinion, the next most responsible thing I can do as a conscious consumer and doggy mom is to make sure I'm buying sustainable. That means looking for sustainable packaging and responsibly sourced ingredients. Choose Happiness offers the best of both worlds with their treats that are good for your dog and good for the planet. So use the link in the show notes to purchase your pup some Choose Happiness dog treats today and receive a free dog toy with the purchase of two treat boxes. That's Choose, C-H-E-W-S, Happiness. Link in the show notes. Okay, friends, it's finally that time. Discussing homelessness has been on my radar since I started this podcast over three years ago. It's such a prevalent issue in our country and all over the world, but it's something that not many people are sure what to do about. Should you give folks money when they ask for it? What else should you say or do? And what can we as a country do better to help solve this crisis? I knew I needed an expert on the topic to answer these questions and more for us, so I got connected with Melanie Jackson. Melanie and I had never met before doing this interview, but we actually lived in the same city for many years. I had heard about the nonprofit she started for a long time, so today I asked her to come on and share more about the journey starting that ministry and some of the experiences she had along the way. This is just part one, so next week in part two, we'll be talking more about what we can actually do to help with this problem. But for now, you're going to love hearing about this compassion ministry and how it's working to change lives. I also want to give you a heads up on an unexpected guest that I had on the show. If you follow me online, you know I mentioned that there may be some baby noises in the background of my episodes this summer as we're adjusting to being a family of four and navigating childcare. And I did not disappoint with the baby noises today, so I hope you enjoyed those. While you're listening to Melanie and I and the baby, don't forget about leaving a rating and a review for the show. Reviews are so helpful because they tell Apple and all the other podcast sites that people like what I'm doing, and that means more people will hear about the show. I especially want more people to hear the interviews like we're doing today with Melanie so that they can learn about a very real and relevant crisis we have on our hands and what they can do about it. I want to take a second to thank someone who took the time to write a review. This review is from Laura, and it says, I've known Mackenzie for a while, and I knew she had a podcast, and I am seriously so bummed that I'm just now tuning in. I've learned so, so much after listening to only a few episodes, and I can't wait to go back and listen to more of them. I can tell she's thoughtful in choosing the topics and her guests, and I have truly learned so much from being enlightened on topics that just aren't being talked about a whole lot. Mackenzie, you're a rock star, loving your podcast. Thank you so much, Laura. That was so, so sweet of you. And I agree. I love that you are going back in time and digging up some of those old episodes. Even though I feel like I sound a little cringy in them, the people I interview are gold. So I highly recommend you go back and listen too if you miss some of those older episodes. Writing a review really only takes a few minutes, so please consider doing that like Laura did. And make sure you're subscribed to the show too so that you know when part two is available next week. All right, friends, here is my conversation with Melanie. All right. Hey, Melanie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. It's great to be here with you. 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Can you just start with introducing yourself for everybody who's listening? Sure. My name's Melanie Jackson, and I live in Colorado Springs. Awesome. And are you, you're not originally from there, are you? No, no. I spent most of my life in Illinois. I grew up in Southern Illinois, not far from St. Louis, and spent uh, 20 years in Champaign-Urbana in the middle of the state. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I spent a few years there myself as a U of I grad. What do you do for work right now? Um, Right now I do a lot of waiting on God and praying (laughs) for my next ministry position. And while I'm doing that to pay the bills, I started my own business a couple years ago that is an executive admin business support for churches and ministries. It's called Jackson Professional Services. Oh, cool. And our our tagline of JPS is expanding executive bandwidth. All right. So you said you do a lot of waiting on God and you spent a lot of time in Illinois doing ministry. So can you just tell us a little bit about your ministry background in Illinois serving the homeless? Yeah, it, it really all started with a homeless outreach called the Canteen Run. It was a retrofitted ambulance that went around to different places in town, taking items to folks who don't have a place to live, like coffee and in the winter coats and blankets, socks, underwear, those kinds of essentials. We would go to different parks where people would tend to hang out. And there were also a couple places on campus. The University of Illinois is there and a couple places on campus that people would tend to hang out. And it was really a nasty night. It was the first Monday in December, and there was already a little bit of snow on the ground. And it was blowing and snowing that night, just just nasty conditions if you think of someone who's going to be sleeping outside that night. And our, our ambulance stopped on campus right on the main restaurant and bar row right on Green Street and opened up the back and waited for folks to come up and there were there were three guys that walked up came from across the street and folks in the truck started talking to them this was my first time out with them so i didn't really know any of the folks we were connecting with and i noticed that one of the guys he didn't have gloves on and his fingertips were starting to get dark and that was a real disconnect for me thinking that someone in this affluent community that we live in is actually suffering from frostbite it just didn't make sense to me we we kept talking to the guys and got them some coffee got them some blankets they said they were going to be sleeping in the parking garage across the street out of at least the wind and the snow and before they left one of the volunteers said well could we pray for you before we go before you you know go back so we all got out of the truck and there were about 10 of us in a circle and we held hands and the volunteer prayed for them that god would take care of them and give them peace give them direction give them warmth during that night and when the volunteer said amen one of the guys started praying for us and he prayed that we would be safe and we would be warm that night and thank God for bringing people who cared. That was a real game changer for me. 
I was going out to help people and here was this guy who had basically nothing praying for me. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing story. And so let me go a little bit further back and ask you what made you want to get involved in something like the canteen run and, and just working with the homeless in the first place? I had been through seminary and been doing worship and evangelism in churches as an intentional interim, so short-term transitional roles. And during the summer of 2009, a couple of events happened, and God was calling me to some kind of compassion ministry, Mm -hmm. some kind of helping people in need and poverty, and I didn't know what it looked like. Mm -hmm. And I moved back to Champaign and ended up spending a year working at a place that had food and clothes for folks in need, mostly the working poor. Mm -hmm. I was there for a year before going out on the canteen run. And it was my pastor who actually told me about the canteen run. And he thought it was something that I would like the experience being involved with. So he went with me. It was my pastor and I that were there on that first night. Wow. Okay. Very cool. And so kind of coming away from that really special moment where you were praying with the homeless men that you met, that kind of led you into wanting to start your own organization. Is that right? Yeah. So the canteen run was the first week of December in 2010. And a couple weeks later, I got on the canteen run email list. One of the guys that had been involved with it for a while sent an email about a national movement using a housing first model. So using housing basically as a prescription for homelessness, which on the surface seems like, you know, duh, of course, housing, but housing without a lot of requirements, Mm -hmm. without the requirement of sobriety, without the requirement Mm -hmm. of case management. It's all offered and encouraged, but not required. So that really intrigued me because these guys were in a really bad situation and they weren't using the shelter available in our town. Mm -hmm. At that point, there was one shelter that was still open and they weren't using that and I didn't know why. So this housing first model, it was called 100,000 Homes, really Mm -hmm. intrigued me. I dug into that, started finding out more about it started finding out what resources were in the community and what resources weren't there Mm -hmm. and began to consider and start to sketch on paper a housing first model for these guys that were actually closest to dying on the street. That's the population that God called me to work with Mm -hmm. through CU at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really special. And so Yeah. Can you tell us about See You at Home and kind of like the mission and also tell us first about See You at Home and then maybe also how you started the Phoenix Center? Okay. So that spring of 2011, I went through a lot of different experiences of research, Mm -hmm. of finding out exactly what God was calling me to do. And part of that was moving into one of the homeless shelters in town. Mm -hmm. I actually lived there for the first year and a half of starting See You at Home. And that gave me real hands-on experience with folks who had been in a homeless situation. And by about April of 
2011, it had a name, and that name was CU at home. CU is a common reference in Champaign-Urbana. It's the letters C and U, and God gave me um, that name while I was lap swimming. I'm a lap swimmer, and I got that underwater. He said, Mm -hmm. you know, this is is what you're going to call it. And CU at home started as a Housing First ministry, one where we would offer housing to folks right off the street and encourage them with a mentor, encourage them with Bible study, but not require specific things for them to be in the housing. Mm -hmm. And we were really doing this on a shoestring budget with all volunteers. Mm -hmm. Definitely helped some folks the first couple years. Uh, There are definitely success stories, and there were also a couple of funerals and a couple people who returned to the street. And that's kind of a part of this work. It's just yeah. a part of what you go through. Yeah. And during that third year of See You at Home, I really did did some heart checking to see if this is what God wanted us to do. It didn't seem like maybe the numbers of people that I thought we were going to be helping. It seemed more like a struggle. We were struggling and the people we were helping were struggling. Mm -hmm. And that's when I I was actually given the gift of a trip to get away. And I got away for about a month um, to a beautiful place, to Belize. Oh, cool. (laughs) Right, right, right on the ocean. And a time to just process whether it was time to close the ministry doors Mm -hmm. or to go in a different direction. And through that time, God gave me the idea, the vision for a daytime center Mm -hmm. for the folks who don't have a place to live to come and to play the guitar, Mm -hmm. to play a game of cards, to hang out in an environment where they're not judged, Mm -hmm. and also for people from the community to come and to spend time with them and to kind of get their paradigm about homelessness busted (laughs) all to pieces and changed when they sat down to play a game of chess. We think of chess as kind of an intellectual game. Sit down to play a game of chess with one of the guys who slept under the bridge last night Mm -hmm. and to get their tail kicked in a game of chess. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of a sudden that guy looks looks different, looks really different. He's yeah. more like a friend. Yeah. So we, we started looking for property and ended up finding an old bar downtown that had been called the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And the Phoenix, the legend of the Phoenix, the myth of the Phoenix is that it's a bird that died and after three days out of the ashes rose again. Mm-hmm. So the sign for Phoenix was still on the side of the bar and we were trying to figure out what to call it when we moved in and we decided to call it the phoenix to keep that Uh you know the phoenix is very much like what christ did for us yeah died three days and came out of the tomb so our drop-in center was called the phoenix yeah that's such a cool name i love that and did that really help to kind of change things around from what you could see where you mentioned you felt like the ministry was really struggling and kind of wondering, like, is this worth it? So did you feel like the Phoenix was kind of a turnaround point? The Phoenix was very important to the ministry and to the direction we ended up taking from there. And it was also very important to the community, to the region. Yeah, Folks 
had a place to go. We were all incognito. You know, we didn't let folks know where our addresses were. So only the people who were involved with the ministry really could have hands-on experience. Mm -hmm. And here we were in a fishbowl. The whole front window of the building was windows, ceiling to floor. So it it couldn't get more public than that. And the community engagement piece was always very important to me of of being a part of systemic change, Mm -hmm. not just specifically the individuals we were helping, but like I said, the getting paradigms busted about homelessness. And over the next couple years, one of the things that I am so proud God chose to do through us is that every media outlet, the newspapers, the radio stations, the TV stations across central Illinois completely stopped using the term homeless to describe a human being. Hmm. They started using the term friends without an address. Oh, that's so cool. And that's what we call folks who would come into the Phoenix. We had friends. We were all friends in there. And we had friends who didn't have an address. And we had friends who did have an address. Mm-hmm. So to see that kind of systemic change was very rewarding. Mm-hmm. And just so people listening know, because obviously most of them probably won't be super familiar with the central Illinois region, but, you know, Champaign-Urbana is, a, it's a big city. There's the university there, so there's a lot going on. But, you know, it's obviously not as big as a place like Chicago or some of the other cities in Illinois. So people might be surprised to learn that there is such a prevalent population there of people without addresses. So can you just tell us like a little bit of background? We're going to talk more generally about homelessness in America in the second Mm -hmm. half of the interview, but would you mind just giving us a little bit of maybe the stats or whatever you have just on that population in that region so people know? Sure. A lot of times when people think about homelessness, they think about large metro areas. Yeah. In fact, where I live now in Colorado Springs, it's about three quarters of a million people. Mm-hmm. And there are between two and 3,000 people sleeping outside every night here. Wow. So those are the numbers, and they only get bigger as the metro area gets larger. Mm-hmm. Where we were situated in east central Illinois, Champaign-Urbana is a couple hundred thousand people with another 40,000 students at the university. So about 250,000 people. Mm -hmm. And it's a farming community for the most part. There are other industries there, but it's agricultural. Mm -hmm. And in that kind of community, the people actually sleeping outside every night in the area of Champaign-Urbana was usually between 60 or 70 and 100. Mm -hmm. That's about the number of people that were sleeping outside and that is what the Ministry of CU at Home is focused on. All right, gotcha. Yeah, that's great context, just so people know. And I I feel like in my time in Champaign-Urbana, even though I was never directly involved with your ministry, I feel like it was a staple of the community. Like I heard so much about it. I felt like I knew tons of people who participated in your events and that kind of thing. So besides, you know, the core part of it with the Phoenix, Can you tell us about some of the events and outreach programs that you would do? Like, I know One Winter Night was a really big one. Can you tell us about Mm -hmm. that? 
Yeah, I think um, I think first what I'll do is tell you about the parts of the ministry, and then and then I'll go into one winter night after that, sure. if that's okay. Sure. Yeah, that's great. See you at home kind of grew one step at a time, sometimes on top of each other, and each new area of ministry came out of need. One of those is transportation. In that area, there was no detox facility available for those wanting help with alcohol or with substance abuse. Nothing that was available for folks who didn't have money or insurance. Mm -hmm. So we would find ourselves trying to help people get to another town, usually a town 90 miles away to the north. Mm -hmm. And that became a transportation ministry, you know, using our own cars and our own drivers and taking people who were ready, who said, I'm ready for help. There's no place here for me to get the help to, to beat the alcohol. Can you help me? So the transportation ministry was born. We had the housing part of the ministry from the beginning. I kind of talked about advocacy, the, the community engagement piece. I was involved with several different groups and committees and agencies that were addressing not only the issues of, of homelessness itself, but also mental illness, which is a large part of what contributes to homelessness for people, also substance abuse. And having that advocacy arm of see you at home was very important to us to be a part again of change in the community change in the state change even in the nation mm -hmm. that was an important part of see you at home we also always did street outreach in addition to the canteen run we would go out at times where people were in camps or where we knew people had been sleeping to build relationship with them. People who weren't ready to come to us, we would go to them. That was a part of CU at home pretty early on. During the first year, we were already doing street outreach in addition to the canteen run. Mm -hmm. The drop-in center came along, Phoenix, and that was really core to our relationship building with the folks who were on the street. And I was committed to not taking any government funds for CU at home. So often when ministries take funds from the government, those come along with restrictions mm. and there are strings attached mm -hmm. and you can't share your faith openly anymore. Okay. And, and I wasn't interested in that so that we, we had to have a way to raise money to pay for the housing, to pay for the drop-in center, to pay for everything we were doing. Right. And that first winter, the Lord originally gave me the idea to have people sleep out in their front yards or backyards one night in, in the cold mm -hmm. in January, one night in January, and to donate the cost of that month's power bill to see you at home. Mm -hmm. That was the first idea, and to do it as a radio promotion. Yeah. A Christian radio station there in town that I had actually worked with for quite a few years. So I proposed it to them and they just weren't really interested. So we had to come up with another idea mm -hmm. and we pursued sleeping in tents in the downtown park where many folks who don't have a place to live tend to hang out. Mm -hmm. 
And that was going along like we were going to be doing that towards the end of January. I had to go to the park district to get permission to do that. And the park district had an ordinance on the books that said no one can sleep on park district property. So, <laughs> so for us to do this event, we would have to go before their board of directors and have that ordinance excused. Uh -huh. And that was going to take another month before they had another meeting. And that was already too late for our event. So take three, <laughs> we had to come up with another way to do this. And I got to be friends with a woman who helped nonprofits with a lot of different things, kind of a consultant. Uh -huh. And she said, Melanie, here's what you need to do. You get X number of people and you can start with the mayor. He'll do it. I know he'll do it get X number of people and get cardboard boxes and sleep downtown on sidewalks mm -hmm. and have them raise your money for you. Mm -hmm. So that is how see you at home one winter night actually started that first year. We had 28 people, the mayor, we did have my pastor. We had several business leaders. We had some kiddos with moms and dads, a couple of youth groups, a few university students mm -hmm. who committed to raise a hundred dollars an hour and we were going to do it for 12 hours. So we asked them to raise 12, $1,200 for us. And we ended up raising right around 30,000. Wow. That's amazing. And see you at home. One winter night has grown each year. Mm -hmm. Last year there were over 300 people in boxes and wow. they raised um, a little, a little over six hundred thousand dollars. Wow, that's amazing! So, so see you at home one winter night is is an important experiential event. Mm -hmm. I was in a box that first year, mm -hmm. and it was just above freezing. It was like thirty four degrees, but the wind was blowing, mm -hmm. and it was raining. Oh my! Goodness. It was absolutely miserable. Yeah. And that gave us all just a little taste. It's a loose simulation mm -hmm. of what it would be like to be in a homeless situation. Yeah. And I can tell you, I went back to my bed in the homeless shelter, my bed with my sheets and my blankets and my pillow after the event was over and tried to sleep. <laughs> and and I can tell you my thoughts were on those folks who didn't have a place to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even for obviously, if you participate in the event, you really experience, you know, you like you said, you get a taste of what it might be like. But I feel like because the event is downtown, I know, even for me, like one of the first times I heard of the event, I was like downtown having dinner or something that night. Because, you know, if you live in Champaign-Urbana and it's a weekend, a lot of times you find yourself down in that area. We don't have a very yeah. big downtown. So so that's where people would hang out. And you, you can't help but notice all these boxes lined up on the sidewalk and I mean, I think we even would run into people we know, like participating and to just stand out there and talk to someone who's doing the event for five minutes. 
I found out like I would not want to do this for a whole night. It is freezing and I'm just standing here and I have my coat on. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like it's such a powerful event, whether or not you participate, just the, just witnessing yeah. it is really something. Yeah. And one of the, one of the other things that we did during one winter night is we would have speakers come and present on different topics like mental illness. We would have someone from law enforcement, someone from the emergency room, mm -hmm. give their perspective. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was very educational for folks to be able to attend those presentations. And a couple years into that, we had a friend who actually did a full length documentary on See You at Home. It's called The Phoenix, Hope is Rising. Mm. And that is available on several different platforms that you can stream, stream that video. And we would play The Phoenix, Hope is Rising several times during the night mm -hmm. for folks to come in and to really hear the stories mm -hmm. of the people who work with See You at Home and the people who we were helping through See You at Home. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah, I love that it's not just a fundraiser, but it's such a key educational event. That's really cool. Can you, I mean, I know you probably want to protect people's privacy and everything, but are there any stories you could share with us or maybe like one main story that you like to tell just of transformation that you saw coming out of your time with See You at Home? Hmm. I'm sure there's a lot to choose from. <laughs> yeah. One of the guys that I met while I was doing the canteen run, his name is Doug. Mm -hmm. And Doug went on quite a journey mm -hmm. through several years. He would go to rehab in Springfield and he actually graduated from the, the ARC Recovery Center run by the Salvation Army in Springfield, graduated, was doing well, and then he would relapse after a few months. Mm -hmm end up back on the street, panhandling for alcohol. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, we would, would stay in relationship with him the entire time. Mm -hmm. We would continue to love him, to care for him, to talk to him, to listen to him while he was living on the street. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a part, a big part of helping someone who is in a homeless situation is you're in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. There are no band-aids. <laughs> there isn't a nine-month program or even a two-year program mm -hmm. that's, that's going to completely change somebody's life. Mm -hmm. It's being in relationship with them over the long run. And Doug lives on his own now. He helps see you at home. He helps the canteen run. Okay. And it's just wonderful seeing that life redeemed. Mm -hmm. And know that he has a heart to give back. Yeah, that's awesome. And like you said at the beginning, you're now in Colorado Springs. So you're no longer in Champaign-Urbana working with you at home, which I'm sure was hard to say goodbye to. Um, yeah. Is See You at Home still in operation, though? Mm, yeah. So we had been looking for a few years for someone to take my role at the ministry. I'm more of an entrepreneur, more of a starter than uh -huh. a sustainer. Sure. And had a couple folks that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And we finally found a young man who had actually worked at the homeless shelter and 
he applied for the position and we hired him in 2016. And by the time one, one winter night came around February of 2017, it's always the first Friday in February, one winter night, I knew that he was going to be the one to take over the ministry. And I took a trip out to Colorado Springs. Previously in 2005, the Lord had clearly told me that I was going to be here. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be sooner than later, <laughs> but he made it clear through random prophecy and, and a couple of different things that it was okay now for me to come. So I made plans to leave in the fall of 2017. And frankly, I was at the very peak of, of my professional life, of my ministry life. CU at Home was thriving. I got to spend a whole year mentoring Rob to take over the ministry. And I came out here in a moving truck with no place to live and no job and didn't know what I was going to do. That's, that's a whole nother story. But um, Rob continues to lead and to grow CU at Home just in the last six months, they have started the first year round overnight emergency shelter for both men and women. Cool. And they have a headquarters now that they own that has the Phoenix in one part of it and the emergency overnight shelter. And I'm just so proud. It's it's my biggest legacy that, that God allowed me to be a part of starting that and continuing to see it grow and thrive. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that's really cool that even though you felt called to go somewhere else, you made sure it was going to be sustained because like you said, so much about the relationships and the long-term input. Mm -hmm. And so that's really cool that it gets to keep going and that, you know, it didn't have to shut down just because you left. So that's really mm -hmm. cool. Thank you. What an amazing thing Melanie started in the humble little town of Champaign-Urbana. I loved hearing about the model for her ministry and hope that we start to see more like this around the country. The work that See You at Home is doing is truly amazing and life-changing, but you don't have to live in Champaign-Urbana to help make a difference. Obviously, getting involved in volunteer work is a great way to help those who don't have addresses, but next week in part two, Melanie and I are talking about other ways you can be a part of change in someone's life who is struggling. She's answering common questions like what we should say or do if we do encounter someone living on the streets. I wanted all the practical advice from her on handling these situations, and she brought it. Make sure you subscribe to the show so that you don't miss part two next week with Melanie. Subscribing is free and easy to do. You can do it right now on whatever app you're listening on by hitting the subscribe button. Don't forget about leaving a rating and a review for the show too while you're over there. And also share the show with your friends. More people need to hear these conversations and more people definitely need to know about See You at Home. So text it to your friends who you think would be interested or share online that you're listening and tag me. Thanks so much for doing that and for tuning in today. You can find the links to connect with Melanie and I in the show notes and the link to shop Choose Happiness and get your free doggy toy is also there. Until next time, think about how you can be a part of systemic change in your own community. Remember that serving folks without addresses is a long-term relational investment and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out. Thinking of you, I